Hello, how are you guys? Good. Good? Uh, my name is Selene Castrovilla, and I write books for kids about the American Revolution. Have you guys learned about the American Revolution? You have? Yeah? So it's a little complicated, right? We, we, we learn the basics, you know, that we behave a country, but they leave a lot of details out when they teach us history. So when I started hearing about these details when I got older, I said, oh, I really want to write about these things because when you learn about how people act in war, you really learn a lot about their character. You really learn who can, who can be trusted, you know? So there's a guy named Benedict Arnold. Have you ever heard of Benedict Arnold? Benedict Arnold was a really, really bad guy. He was something called a traitor. A traitor is someone who betrays your country. Um, and when, you, when we talk about the word traitor, we always talk about Benedict Arnold because he was the worst traitor. He was, because so, he, he was our greatest general and he betrayed us. And then there's another guy we maybe didn't hear of as much. His name's John Andre and he was British and he, and he worked with, with Benedict Arnold. So this book, is a story, it's called Revolutionary Rogues, because they're bad guys, or rogue is a bad guy, right? And they're revolutionary, and uh, because it's the Revolutionary War, and it's about John Andre and, and Benedict Arnold. So this tells us a story about the American Revolution that we don't always hear, which are the kind of things that I like to write. We're gonna tell you a little bit, the beginning it's called Stirring. So they, they had a big plot going, these guys, okay? A lot of secrecy. So it starts off with stirrings. This is Major John Andre. He was bright and well-educated, and he worked closely with General Sir Henry Clinton, Commander-in-Chief of the British Army. Andre wrote much of Clinton's correspondence. In 1779, Clinton appointed the 28-year-old to be Adjunct General and his Chief Administrative Officer. Soon after, Andre was also put in charge of British secret intelligence. Although he had no background in espionage, he was excited by this new opportunity to serve in an important role and to prove himself. He longed for glory. So, he was the head of the spies for the British, okay? And he was spy, he was a spy, okay? And he wanted glory, he wanted to be known, he wanted credit for taking the Americans down. And now this is Major General Benedict Arnold, and he was one of America's finest soldiers. The 36-year-old's grit and fervor led to victory at the Battle of Saratoga in 1777. Commander-in-Chief General George Washington publicly acknowledged Arnold's brilliance and bravery at the battle. Arnold was denied official credit and passed over for a medal. Reward and recognition were in the U.S. Congress's hands. Arnold had been gravely injured at Saratoga, shot in his leg and maimed. Gone was any further chance for glory on the battlefield. He would seek it another way. So Benedict Arnold was hurt really badly in the battle. He could not be a soldier anymore, like fight like he wanted, okay? So he was angry. Wouldn't you be angry if you got really hurt and you couldn't be, you couldn't be a soldier anymore? No one gave you any credit? So he was really, really angry. So now the story starts. All that already happened. May 1779, British headquarters, New York City, four years into the war. Believe it or not, this is Lower Manhattan back then. It looks sort of like Governor's Island, a little bit like that. When we go to Lower Manhattan now, it doesn't look like that. So Major John Andre plopped down in his favorite chair, dizzied by the unexpected letter in his hand. John hadn't been in charge of British intelligence for long. 
That means the spying. He'd been making lists of American officers to solicit, never thinking that one would come to him. But why would the most heroic of George Washington's generals agree to treason? Perhaps Benedict Arnold's new wife played a part in this. Peggy Shippen was a British sympathizer. That means that even though she was American, she wanted the British to win. However, this was not John's concern. He needed only to seal the deal. Already he saw a promotion in his future. So John thinks he's gonna get a promotion. And then this is, this is Benedict Arnold's wife. We think she was behind the whole thing, actually, but we can't prove it. John drew out his quill and a blank sheet. Yes, he scrawled. The decision to accept Arnold's offer was simple. The details would be more involved. Of course they would need a secret code to communicate. John labored to create one. So he's making up fake words, this and that, so no one would understand when they read it. See how he's working on this code? Signing the paper John Anderson, his new alias, he made up a fake name, he can't put his name, right? He felt a swell of pride. He relished intrigue. John drew another sheet to report to everything to Sir Henry Clinton, his commander. Finished. All that remained was to wait for Arnold's reply. John beamed as bright as the oil lamps in the room. His job well done. The war had gone far longer than expected. He would be the one to bring the rebels down. See, the Americans are rebels. We were rebels. So he, see how smug he looks? See how his face is like, yeah, I'm gonna win now. I'm gonna do it. So then, September 1780, so this is a year later, we can see things are not going so simply for John Andre. A tavern near Arnold's command in West Point, New York, five years into the war. Major General Benedict Arnold sat in dim candlelight in the rear, drinking ale and brewing resentment. He was a hero with bravery etched on his record and a leg maimed in battle, proof of his sacrifice. Did George Washington appreciate his efforts? No, blast him. Benedict's countrymen should have cheered him, rewarded him with gold. Yes, he was commander of West Point, a key stronghold along New York's Hudson River. But his wife Peggy's standard of living far outranked his salary, and now they had a son. What choice did he have but to carry through with his plan? He was going to hand West Point to the British along with his 3,000 troops. He was going to betray our country, give away the fort and all his men. Benedict scraped his foot across the sawdust, covered with wood planks. Silently, he cursed humanity for forcing him into this dark position. And there's Peggy again with her baby, see? And this is West Point, this is the fort. The fort is very important because it's the top of the Hudson River. Whoever controls it really would win the war. And we controlled it at that point. Benedict shuddered at the ugliness of the word treason but people would be grateful for the end of this long war and a return to order. Benedict Arnold would be their hero. Finally, the glory he'd spent his life seeking would be his. All he wanted was to be glorious, be a hero. You know, he wanted fame, he wanted to be known. Communication with John Andre proved long and difficult. The code was misunderstood, that code he wrote, right? 
Letters were lost. Payment negotiations stalled. Tomorrow they would meet and settle matters. And then the attack on West Point could proceed. Benedict sipped the last of his ale and smirked. George Washington was making an unscheduled trip to West Point. If his terms were agreed to quickly, Benedict could also deliver the American commander-in-chief, dead or alive. He's going to give them George Washington. September 1780, so this is near Haverstraw, New York, 17 miles from West Point. This is when they're meeting. John awaited Arnold amidst a forest of fir trees in no man's land, territory that belonged to neither the British nor the Americans, but it was dangerous nonetheless. Americans patrolled the area, scouting for signs of enemy activity on the Hudson River. If they looked tonight, they might spy the British warship Vulture, anchored, waiting for the young officer. His exit was nearby. As long as American cannons didn't fire at the ship, you see, he had to take a ship there, and he had to take a, they had to row there because the ship can't come all the way over. So this ship, called the Vulture, which is a good name for the enemy ship, it has to stay a, large, a distance away from him. So he has a large distance just to get back to his ship. And if they get fired on, it's all over. They have to leave. John forced himself to think past all this danger and suspense, to the taking of West Point and beyond, to the glorious praise and inevitable promotion. So this guy thinks he's just going to win. It's going to be easy, right? He's not really a spy. He has no idea what he's doing. He was glad for the dark, which covered his uniform. Sir Henry had stressed that wearing a disguise was not an option. Nor was John to take papers from the meeting. If they were caught doing these things, he would be considered a spy, and captured spies were hanged. Perish the thought of being caught. So if he gets caught, it's all over. And here they meet in the forest. And, and West Point is in, the, is in the distance. Arnold arrived, and the two soldiers shook hands. They sat on a bed of needles to settle the payment. Finally, the price was agreed upon, and John made a promise. Benedict Arnold would become an officer in the British Army should the attack on West Point fail. But the attack would not fail. So they have a lot riding on this. It was late and they still needed a plan. They did all this negotiating and still didn't have a plan. Can you believe that? Arnold proposed that they travel to a home nearby. The ride through the woods seemed endless. Arnold halted by a shrub to talk to someone. A secret code must have been passed. John swallowed hard, trying to dissolve the lump that had formed in his throat. They'd crossed into American lines. He swallowed again. All he had to do was get through this night, and glory would be his. Now that in his American lines, he's in real trouble. He, if he gets caught, forget it. Shortly after, inside the home of Joshua Het Smith, hours passed, and day broke. John looked out the window toward the Hudson River and saw that the vulture was still there. The lump in his throat melted. This ordeal was almost finished. After breakfast, he would journey back to the river and the vulture. A thunderous blast shook the walls. John rushed to the window. The vulture was fleeing American fire. 
knees wobbling, John clutched the sill with at least 20 miles between him and British territory and the only way out on foot, John realized the deep trouble he was in. How would he ever return to New York? The lump in his throat was back. Still inside Smith's house, Benedict stared at the quivering Andre with contempt. Coward, a fine head of intelligence he was. So Benedict Arnold can't even understand how this guy became head of intelligence, He's so scared. No time for drama. Benedict had been absent from headquarters too long. He settled things quickly. Smith would guide Andre into neutral territory. From there, he would be fine alone. Andre would wear a tattered jacket and round beaver hat and stow Arnold's plans for West Point in his boot. Andre balked when he heard the orders to, to change into the clothing. He was told to remain in uniform and carry nothing by his commander. But Arnold insisted Andre would wear the disguise. How far did he hope to get in a British uniform? And he would also carry the plans, proof of Arnold's hard work. Andre could not win the fight. He shed his uniform and stuffed the papers in his boot. Well done, Benedict told him. Now, if he would only stop shaking. So here, Andre is in a disguise. He looks ridiculous, doesn't he? And he's wearing, and he's got the papers in his boot. So now, he is a spy. He is, he is, if he gets caught, forget it. He took off his uniform. He was not supposed to do that. Something bad might happen now. The following day, no man's land, remember that's where they were, neutral territory, near Tarrytown, New York. That's also where the headless horseman was, yeah. Yes, this all happened right up there. John was alone, having made it through enemy lines. The worst was over, the weather pleasant. John breathed in the air and admired the colorful leaves. At the end of the bridge, three horsemen appeared, blocking his path. They were grimy dressed in military cast-off clothes, much like his disguise. Perhaps if he just nodded and gave a slight smile, they would let him pass. He dared not speak, lest they detect his British accent. But the men remained stone-faced and didn't budge. The middle one raised a musket. John had no time to panic before that he was ordered from his horse. Stripped, they commanded him, starting with his boots. John could only obey. See, I stripped down. Let me take off all of his clothes. And guess what? What did he have in the clothes? He had the plans for West Point, right? John could only obey. When the plans for West Point tumbled out, the thieves realized they'd stumbled on a spy. John pleaded the commander would pay well for his freedom. But the ruffians banked on the Americans rewarding them more. They only cared about who would give them more money. Ordered back on his horse, John was led toward American soil. The trees looked muddy brown now, and the crisp air proved harder to breathe. Oh, the day turned very bad for John. That evening at Arnold's headquarters, now Arnold, remember, is the, bad, is the really bad guy, Smith reported back to Benedict during supper. All was well. John Anderson, that's the code name, was on his way home. Now, we know the all is not well, but they didn't have, you know, text messaging them, so he didn't know. The same evening, an American outpost in South Salem, New York, John paced the perimeter of his cell with the precise steps of a gentleman. See, he's captured now. 
Even as he panicked, his breathing didn't falter. The clicking rhythm of his boots sounded on the floorboards. There was no way out now. The plans he'd carried were on their way to General Washington. So he was caught. Also on, the, on its way was a letter to West Point's commander, Benedict Arnold, informing him of John's capture in Arnold's territory. John knew Arnold would not try to save him. So they're warning Arnold because they don't know that Arnold's a traitor, right? But will Arnold help him? No, because he's not a nice guy. The truth was John's only option. Requesting pen and paper, John scrawled a letter confessing his identity and begging mercy. His fate rested in the heart of George Washington. Now, would you think George Washington was nice? No. Yes. Would you be nice if you found out someone was plotting against you? Oh. Right? Not really, right? Not really. Not really. The following morning in Arnold's headquarters, here's where he found out. Benedict nearly choked on his eggs when the note about Andre arrived. Jumping to his feet, he scattered silverware in a scrambled panic. He bellowed orders to his servants, saddle my horse, tell the barge to stand by. Then he climbed the stairs to Peggy. He had to bid her goodbye. Making haste down the creaking steps, Benedict banged down the front door. His horse was ready, he could make it. See this, Peggy, watching him go with her really high hair. It's really, this is all true, they really dress like that. From up the road came clamoring hooves. Washington with his men. Benedict raced his steed down the steep slope to the river. Look how steep. I don't think the horse likes that too much. At the water's edge, he dismounted and boarded his barge. Finding the vulture was his only hope. He bayed at his crew, paddle, fast. And here they are on this beautiful ship. 18 miles out, he spotted the British ship. Tying a white handkerchief to his cane, Benedict directed his men to approach. The men hesitated, but he told them to fear not. He carried a message from Washington. So he's lying to see to get them on the ship. The crew delivered their commander to the vulture. Benedict invited them on board, and then he revealed the truth. He promised his men promotions if they switched sides and joined the British army. But the men refused to turn traitor, as Benedict Arnold clearly was. Offended, Benedict declared them prisoners to be locked inside the vulture's hold. So his men took him there, and now they're prisoner. He didn't like the idea that they said no, they didn't want to be traitors. Benedict was not nice. Benedict wrote a letter to Washington, insisting that he'd act out of love for his country. Well, this guy's a little twisted, right? He, oh, I, yes, that's how I love my country, by betraying them. He, be, he appealed, protect Peggy, who was as good and as innocent as an angel. He also excused Joshua Head Smith, whose house they were at, who knew nothing of the plot. But there was no mention of John Andre. See, he didn't protect Andre at all. The sealed note was dispatched with a rowboat crew, and the vulture set course for New York. So, he's going to New York, which was British headquarters. Yes, New York was British headquarters. October, New York City. October 1780, Tapan, New York. John was about to die, but there would be no tears. He would leave this world with courage. 
If he couldn't have glory, he would at least be brave. The trial had been quick. Washington, merciless. So Washington was not on his side. In exchange for John, Sir Henry had offered every American prisoner he had. He would have given them all back for the one guy. Washington wanted only one person, Benedict Arnold. Alas, that could not be. Arnold had secured protection with the British when he negotiated his deal. So the British didn't even want him, but they couldn't, they had to, they made a promise. Would you trust a guy that was a traitor? No. It was time. Escorted from his cell, John wore his uniform. Sir Henry had sent it. See if he'd only not taken it off. And this is a very sad scene. He's walking to the gallows. Outside, he squinted in the harsh light. People lined the street and watched him climb the steep hill. At the top, he stepped up to the gallows with his head held high. He asked his audience to bear witness. I meet my fate like a brave man. John reached for the noose, placed it around his neck and drew the knot close. The weight of the rope, the bristles, these were the last things he'd feel. A whip cracked, a jolt as the horses bolted with the wagon under him. Then, darkness. Now the people are all sad. You know why? Because he was a nice, even though he was British and against us, he actually was a really nice guy. He was in way over his head. October 1780, British headquarters, New York. Benedict sat in Andre's chair. Now he's in the chair Andre was in. Surrounded by Andre's belongings. There was no eluding the hanged man. Andre was the toast of the town, mourned by the British army and martyred for his gallant sacrifice. So in death, everybody loved Andre, but what a price to pay, right? Benedict had escaped, but to what? Never again would he be trusted. A traitor once was a traitor always. Gone was his last chance for glory. Somehow, Andre's death had secured this, a bolt tightening a chain. And although Benedict felt something in Andre's death, he couldn't call it sorrow. No, it was jealousy. Andre had taken his role. Benedict Arnold would never be called valiant, but John Andre forever would. So that's what happened. And then he, had to go, he wound up going to England at the end of the war because they lost. You know, the British lost. And so then, this is called the aftermath of the things, all the things that happened. When he reached New York City, Benedict Arnold was commissioned into the British Army as a brigadier general. General Ar Arnold led raids in Virginia and Connecticut. As a matter of fact, attacked his own town and burned his town. He was a horrible person. Sir Henry Clinton made sure Arnold didn't act alone. He was always accompanied by other generals. He couldn't trust them. George Washington honored Benedict's plea to spare his wife, Peggy, and her son, Edward, and they headed to New York where the British were still headquartered and Benedict was based. Arnold remained in service until the war drew to a close. In December 1781, Benedict, Peggy, Edward, and their second son, James, sailed to England. George Washington had little to say about the man who betrayed him. When he, when he was asked how he thought Arnold might feel after Andre's hanging, Washington replied, he wants feeling. That means he doesn't feel anything. And by the way, George Washington loved Arnold like a son. He did. 
Of Andre, Washington said he was more unfortunate than criminal. He added later that Andre was an accomplished man and a gallant officer. Major Benjamin Talmadge, one of Washington's most trusted soldiers, talked to Andre before his death and wrote, for the few days of intimate intercourse I had with him, I became so deeply attached to Major Andre that I can remember no instance when my affections were so fully absorbed in any man. When I saw him swinging, it seemed for a time as if I could not support it. All of the spectators seemed overwhelmed by the affecting spectacle and many were suffused in tears. There did not appear to be one hardened or indifferent spectator in all the multitude. So all the people cried for the man who was being executed as the person trying to bring them down. And that is where this, this account is where I got the information about the hanging. Andre was buried at the site where he was hanged in Tapan, New York. Two years later, King George III commissioned and paid for a monument to Andre in Westminster Abbey, London, England, in one of the world's greatest churches. For 41 years after his hanging, the body of John Andre stayed in Tapan, and then it was exhumed and returned to England. He was laid to rest with honors at Westminster Abbey by his monument. On October 2nd, 1879, 99 years after Andre was hanged, a monument was erected in Tapan in his memory. So the people wanted to remember him, even though he was an enemy. Inscribed on it is a quotation in Latin from a poet called named Virgil. There are the, these are the tears of things and our mortality cuts to the heart. Which means that even though we're, we can be enemies, we're all mortal, we're all the same. Suffering from asthma, gout, and his never-ending inner torment, Arnold died in bed at age 60 in London. He had lived away from the United States for nearly 20 years. Peggy died three years later from cancer. Peggy and Benedict had seven children. At the time of her death, five remained. Their four sons all served in the British military, which is kind of ironic. Benedict, Peggy, and their daughter Sophia are buried in a crypt at St. Mary's Church, Battersea in London. But Benedict was not given military honors. So he really got no credit at all, nothing. There was little to commemorate him, but in 1976, a private donor and Arnold enthusiast paid for a stained glass church window in the church in his honor. Benedict is pictured surrounded by both the American and British flags, which is crazy. The American army denied Benedict Arnold his name as a hero. At the site of the Battle of Saratoga, the inscription on the monument reads, in memory of the most brilliant soldier of the, of the Continental Army. So they acknowledged he was the most brilliant soldier, but they took away his name. It's very hard when, when, he, when your greatest soldier becomes a traitor. Inside a small chapel at West Point are plaques dedicated to generals of the American Revolution. Arnold's plaque bears only his rank and his birth year. The world denied Benedict Arnold his name. It wasn't long before it came to mean traitor. And that is the end. Yeah. Thank you.